it's Sabrina Hahn and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay, which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentoniteWA.com.au. Dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good to see you again, Sab. How you doing? <sighs> Pretty damn fine, I have to say. Jamie, how's your good self? Oh, yes, I'm good. There was some relief in that exhale. Ah, <sighs> Yes, because, um, well, you know, it's it's kind of prime time to be in your garden around the summer. I love summertime. Do you? Ah. Uh, Love it. Bit of sun on the back. Yeah, can't get enough of the heat. Yeah. I like it. Okay. I, I should actually move up to sort of the Kimberley, I reckon, or, you know, tropical zones. You do spend a bit of time there, though. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. And I like the crabbing and the fishing. Yeah, all that good and, stuff. Yep, yep. But um, more more importantly, I like the warmth, Jamie. I like the warmth. Get the blood going a little bit. Yeah. Um, I meant to tell you, Sab, a few weeks ago, mm. we were talking critters in the garden and that yes. kind of thing. Yes. And I went home. I forgot to tell you this. I went home mm. and it was like God was listening to us because I walked out the back and there was yep. a big spider web <gasps> and there was a spider in the middle <gasps> munching on a fly. <laughs> That was your Truly. David Attenborough moment. Yeah, and we've just been talking about it. I can't believe I haven't mentioned it to you until now. And wow. I, uh, I sat there and watched it. I was like, Nat, get over here. Look at this. Spider eating a fly. She's like, you disgust me. <laughs> she didn't have the heart for it, the stomach. But I watched the whole thing. It was fascinating. It took him a while, though. De- oh, yeah, well, they, they usually wrap them first and then suck the juices out. Right. Well, he was just launching straight in. Oh, he must I have been hungry. hungry. No time to wrap. I reckon I can do a one-upmanship on that. Because oh, I've, I've got a pet, not a pet, mm. but a pet, a mm-hmm. uh, uh, black house spider in, the, in my bedroom in right. the corner of the window. Just lives there. Lives there. I just watch him grow, and he comes in and goes out. He watches you too. Yeah, well, I have no doubt. Yeah. But um, I don't know. His housekeeping seems to have been a little bit slack lately. Right. His web's a bit dishrivelled. Yeah. I had a word. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if it's a male or a female because I haven't got two spiders. I've only got one to gauge by. Okay. How do you tell the difference? I think the girls are bigger. Really. And meaner. Yeah. yeah. They beat up on the blokes. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah like it's life. like I've yeah. uh, had enough of that now. Get your filthy legs off me. <laughs> Something like that. So you have a male or female yeah, spider yeah. pet with a dishevelled web. Yeah, like slack, slacker at housework than me. So I thought you're probably a bit hungry, you poor thing, because where he's built the web is right in the corner of the window where the curtain comes across. Right. So I'm figuring not a lot of – there's not a lot of – Road passage works go through there, like flies and mozzies and things. He's not in a great area. Nah, he picked the wrong part of town entirely. Yeah. So I thought, you poor little bugger, I'll have to go and get you some food myself. Did you? Yep. So I went out to a pile of dog poo. It's a sure (laughs) resource where flies will be. They like like it there. Yep. Caught a fly and threw it in the web for him. How good are you? Maybe that's why he's there. He's like, I don't have to do any work because Sab will look after me. Yeah, but I've told him you're only going to get this once every two weeks. That's what you say now. (laughs) 
until that relationship. He'd just be looking forms. back at you, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with his eight eyes He's all just, blinking, yeah, fluttering his little spider <laughs> eyebrows. Give me another fly. Uh, I haven't named him yet. No, I think most flies only live for about a year. Right. Well, that's taking the relationship to a new level <laughs> when you when you start naming the spider in your bedroom. Well, look, this one was outside on my fence. Okay. And, that's uh, a good place to be. He's still there now. So. Oh, that's yeah. cool. My little mate. I'm so pleased that you just, you know, you've shown a whole new sort of version of yourself. That's trying to be better. Being in the outdoors and yeah. going cool. Watching with spiders spider. eat flies and really enjoying <laughs> it like a sicko. <laughs> I would have killed him a month ago, but now I understand why he's important. That's exactly right. Yeah. You have to have spiders in it's your garden. going to get rid of the flies and then I saw a lizard and I'm like, okay, well, he's going to get rid of the mozzies and yep. bring some birds in and yep. happy days. Look at that. It's the circle of life going on in your garden. Yeah, changed man. <laughs> Thanks, Sab. Whereas, whereas in my bedroom, of course, it's just hairy scary. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't want to ask. <laughs> maybe, maybe in a few months' time. I'll find I'll out let, a little more. <laughs> You know, how are my relationships going with Miss Spider? Yeah, cool. We'll keep that. We'll keep that under wraps and see where it ends up. Uh, if Speaking of mates, yes. uh, this one's not in your bedroom, but he's no. in your living room. You've brought yeah. another friend in today. Yep. He, he, he actually loves playing with spiders as well. Does he now? Yeah. Okay. Well, people, if they listen to other programs I do, probably have heard me talking about Johnny Frog. Uh, whose real name, I have to say, is Johnny Profumo. All these years, I thought his surname was Frog. Everyone thinks his name's really Johnny Frog. He was so born we, for it. We've, we've, uh, we've gone, Johnny, get off the ground. He spends a lot of time on the ground looking at stuff that's small. To get up off the ground and come into my lounge room. Jamie and I want to have a chat. Hello, Johnny it's nice Frog. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Maybe we should have done this down on the ground or just lying down in the dirt. Yeah, well, that's good Next for time. you to say, <sighs> but my knees take, it takes me half an hour to get back up these days. Yeah. Well, let's do it at your level. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Sitting. Yep. Because I heard civilized. So I like to be sitting just now. Johnny. Um, Johnny has this famous uh, saying that. Oh, he's looking at me now going, what the hell Which one? is that? Yeah. So it's the one about the creeping, Johnny. Have to tell ah. people about the creeping one. Well, okay. So when you tell people you're a frog doctor, it's you, you say to them, okay, so a frog doctor, they asked, well, they asked me, how did you become a frog doctor? Uh, basically, I didn't grow up. <laughs> and, you know, when you're a kid, you go down to the creek, you get... Some tadpoles, you probably get a few leeches on you. You come home, you've got the tadpoles, you've still got the leeches. <laughs> and uh, so you learn, like, going out to wetlands. Uh, during the day is okay, yeah, pretty good. But when the action really happens is at night. And uh, so, yeah, you get out when it's wet, cold and windy uh, and at night. So the saying is when... When you're sleeping, I'm creeping. <laughs> Probably one that's good to explain, yeah, I reckon. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want that on a T-shirt or something. <laughs> might, yeah. might get a bit awkward for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. I like yeah. it, though. I brought, I brought Johnny in to the station once to interview, and he, he brought some friends along with him. Like, he had a whole pile of little tiny frogs. I think that might. I think I might Jamie have been there. there. Yeah. Jamie you had a bit there, of Jamie. a moment, and the little buggers got out, didn't they? They did, and yeah. they jumped into the uh, 
you know, the, the oh. desk. Yeah. Yeah. With all the, where all the buttons. I could and see the look on your face. I was, and we just got it installed. I never forget this. And I thought, they're going to kill me. Uh, it's going to, yeah. it's going to short circuit something and I'm going to blow up this, you know, half a million dollar desk or whatever it cost. I don't know. Maybe not that much. So anyway, good. it came out though. Mm. A little froggy. Yeah. Yeah. He's orangey. Yeah. So you're always kind of going about with critters. Yeah, it started off uh, with frogs, and uh, are still frogs are still there. And building, you know, an extension of doing a lot of frog research, um, building frog-friendly gardens. And one of the things about frogs is that they live in the air, land, and water. And so you can't look at frogs in isolation. And so all these other kinds of relationships are happening. So you end up. Um, attracting insects and and birds, you've got the opportunity to attract really beneficial animals to your garden that not only do a service of pollination but um, natural pest control. So uh, entry comes the the insects component because insects feed just about everything in the system as well as frogs. And frogs are actually food for a lot of other animals. So it's got a domino effect. And so understanding what insects see and what they need uh, is really important. So insects, when you look at the colour spectrum, you look at what insects can see. They usually see from yellow, you know, the Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yeah. yellow. Yeah, that colour spectrum right through to indigo blue. Insects don't generally do not generally see red, and so when you look they at they don't plants, get angry then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, when you look, they don't actually, get angry. No. They no, they just eat each other and yeah, get yeah. over it, move on. Mm. Yeah, mm. simple so life, isn't it? It is. It is a simple life, and they have a purpose. Um, and so when you look at what insects, if look at what beneficial animals you can attract to your garden, you've got to see what they can see. And what they need, as in habitat-wise, you know, their shelter, the roosting sites, breeding sites, calling sites, all these things. And, you know, understanding insects don't generally see red and then they see more of the yellows, blue indigos and violets. And when you see a bushland system that's been burnt and when you see it regenerate, you'll see this chronology of colours happen. You'll see mainly yellows. You'll see the bright yellows, and then you'll see a little bit of purple in the background. Then you'll see uh, like a, a dull yellow, and then you'll see whites. So those colours are there for beetles and other insects. They attract insects. And those insects will feed your small uh, insectivorous birds as well as your frogs. And some mammals. And some mammals. So, yeah, getting back to insects with anything that you want to do is, benef- is, is critical. If you have too many reds in your garden, especially the big reds, you're going to attract a lot of big birds. So, and, and understanding that, it's been interesting, understanding that bottle brushes and, and gra- especially the cultivar grevilleas are pretty detrimental to a system because... It's not only about the flower, but it's also about um, the other attributes of a plant. So other attributes I talk about, flower colour is is important, 
but also what they call flowering phenology. How long have you got? So you, as long as you've got flower all throughout the year to feed, to attract um, those beneficial insects, which will feed other animals, as well as uh, prickly, uh, the textures of the plant, prickly uh, plants are good. And also peeled bark is, is essential because prickly plants are there to shelter the little birds um, and other animals. And also they're, they're good um, perching sites and also nesting sites for those little birds. Uh, the peeled bark works by, if you ever see uh, small birds foraging, um, you'll see them interacting with the peeled bark because the insects not only live in there but they deposit their eggs and things mm. and that's what those little that's where all the good birds. stuff is for them right mm. yeah it's like a conveyor belt for them though like you know like those little japanese sushi trains that because I've, <laughs> I've got a big lemon scented gum that's just peeling all its bark which my neighbors just love do they big fans oh, mm. especially the ones with the swimming pool um <laughs> And it's interesting because you see all the little birds hopping in underneath the bark, just yeah. going, oh, I think I'll have this for morning tea. Yeah. I'll come back for afternoon tea and have some different insect mm. to, to chew. Insect buffet. Mm, absolutely. So if you're looking to, to bring insects, birds, critters, frogs to your garden, it's not as simple as this variety will do that. You've got to think about how it all connects together. Yeah. Yeah, and so the science of that stuff these days is quite precise. Um, it's about understanding a little bit of biology of the animal that you want to attract. Uh, I was at Bibber Lake this morning and I could hear the splendid fairy wrens. They require uh, like a medium to a low kind of canopy vegetation. Um, they don't travel that well in straight lines. So... Uh, you know, if you were to set up your habitat garden, you've got to look at how far you are from a reserve or somewhere that there's remnant vegetation. And having said that, um, you know, setting up your, your habitat garden, water is probably the most important thing. So when you're setting up uh, like your, a, a frog-friendly garden, such as you've got a bog garden, boggy garden with a pond uh, garden, you've got to look at, putting not only uh, living things such as your plants but um, structures such as um, wood. There is life in dead dead wood, in, in logs, dead logs. And you would put them in uh, both horizontally, flat, going into your water area. You've got to think of how this little bird or this little animal is going to obtain that water. And just think of yourself in a little... In a you know if you're a herbivore if you're a gazelle in Africa going to a water a waterhole what are you doing you actually you're drinking but you're always looking out for predators and it's the same as little birds when they're coming through they they have they're very vulnerable and so understanding that those little perching sites are important um, but also their ins how they get in and get out so you know having your water body but also putting prickly plants uh, scattered away in a random kind of manner allows those little birds to to get out get in and out and then incorporating them with some native creepers creepers that actually kind of canopy over the top mm. um, 
it allows those little birds to come in and out. And they'll use that as a through fare. And the lovely thing about wood near water, of course, it absorbs the water mm. and is cool. So not as in, hey, I'm pretty hip piece of wood here. Hello. Because, you know, I'm dead, but I still got a lot of life in and around me. Not that, that kind of cool. That's your cool voice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that's, you know, that's how wood talks, yeah. really. I mean, most of us know this. Um but having cool wood means that things like your little burrowing froggies have got mm. somewhere that's nice and moist and cool to hang out and meet their mates. Yeah. With. And that interface between the, the soil and the wood has is, is got that moisture in it and that attracts insects as well. So your frogs don't have to go too far for tucker. Mm. Uh, the other thing is um, vertical poles. You can, um, when you get those, that birds will use that as an in, but you'll get ambush creatures in, in the spiders, your, yeah. um, your huntsman spiders, they, they like using those, geckos. So you've actually got day and night patrols for your predator, <laughs> you know, control. And um, what you would do as well is you would, you would drill holes in between 2 and, say, 12 mil with the drill, and they, that would be sites for native bees. And those native bees are you, you natural pollinators in the system, but they're food for their food as well. They're another food source, but they have a beneficial thing for your um, for your plants. And also, they can have actual beneficial um, services for your for your production plants as well. Oh, for everything. I mean, the thing I love about having birds and insects and all the critters that you can possibly cram in your garden is you can just put your feet up as a gardener. No need to use pesticides. No. Every pest out there, there'll be a, there'll be a predator. So you can mm. put your feet up, get a very nice glass of something which may be coloured, uh, usually red, because um, that red, you know, Johnny was talking about hey. the colour of spe- spectrum for insects. Yep. Very important for humans mm, too. Yeah. So oh, here, here. really attracted to the colour red, I find, in my garden. <laughs> and um, so you put your feet up and you just watch everything else predate all the pests in your garden that you thought you had to do something about. Yeah, right. So if you're trying to create a habitat garden at your place and mm. you're starting to kind of look into this and, uh, and enact it in your own backyard, how long does it take? before you start to, to see things, figure it out, that this is a place they want to be? Um, oh, it, it, as soon as the vegetation starts to grow, you've got any coverage, that's when uh, stuff will start to come in and occupy. When we set Sabrina's bog garden out, I came out one day and it was probably a, a year after it was set up and I photographed a dragonfly going through its... Um, Mm. larvae and then actually sitting sitting on a particular plant and then blowing itself up and then flying away and i was i was privileged to actually see that so the vegetation that you use in your um your boggy garden or your little habitat garden will attract things in pretty much instantly instantly because it's 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 a mecca it's basically water um and that will that's what they need basically every day so that's the reward when you wander outside and you say something like that 
Yeah, and probably a, an important thing to do is make sure you set up a like a little spot that you can sit, yeah. like you're saying. Yeah. Just watch, yeah. Just just observe what's going on. And what I find interesting in my garden is that different stuff happens at different times of the year mm. in different parts of the garden and particularly with birds because there's certain birds that only come to certain parts of the garden which is why it's really important to have a source of water all around your garden not just in one spot just g get containers and put water you know all over the place including lizards for lizards yeah. put little trays of water down for them um so that I, I guess, I don't know, would you agree? I think the number one thing about people becoming more habitat friendly in their garden is to not use pesticides. Oh, yeah. And that's what's happening in, in Europe. The, there was a, um, not the 7.30 report, foreign con correspondent not mm -hmm. too long ago, and they're talking about the insect Armageddon. And it's due to pesticides being used in the system now. There's places in Europe banning um, conventional agricultural systems and uh, they have to go through an organic kind of line of, of, of cultivation and also uh, installing uh, wildflower corridors mm. because it, it's got to the point that their insect populations have been decimated and their pollination services for their crops aren't there. So it has a, has a flow-on effect mm. um, to us humans by mm. using those particular... Well, we have known about that since the 1970s, but, of course, we're just a little bit slow on the uptake. It's also a bit of a like how you grow up too. Yeah. You know, it can, it's yeah. conditioned in, you know, yeah. some people and, you know, you just go grab the can of Mortain and that's how you get rid of mm. stuff. Mm. You know, rather than thinking about the broader side of it. Of that being a food source for something else. Yeah. Like your, your bedroom fly. Because it's a fear instance. thing, right? You see a big yeah. spider, you get scared, kill it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that whole fear factor thing, I think the, the further and further children are removed from nature, then the more and more they're likely to be frightened of nature because mm. they have... They've got nothing to gauge it against. They don't have a dad that puts a dirty big huntsman on your hand when you're six and says, this will not harm you. Mm. So yeah. we haven't all had the pleasure of that, have we, Jamie? No. No. See, <laughs> there you go. That's what my father did. And ever since then, I've loved spiders because he put the spider on my hand and then said, check out how many eyes do you reckon this spider has and then talked about where the spider lives and what eats the spider and it won't harm you and check out its hairy legs and yeah. where do the legs come from? I had no idea. I always thought the legs came from the body of the spider but, of course, with spiders, all the legs come from their head. So little things like that when you're a kid, you just go, fancy having, imagine having that many legs coming out of your head. How cool. <laughs> Is that mm. and then you've got like 12 eyeballs all across your head that is very cool yeah my wendell my mm. eldest son he bought a jan's banded snake to school now jan's banded snake only grows to about you know uh 20 centimeters and it's got these beautiful bands you know uh on them 
he he brought it to school. It's a front fang. It's related to the dugites and the other venomous snakes. They're quite easily handleable. Um, so, you know, he had it in his hand and blah, blah, blah. The teachers come along and said, oh, this is great. Put it in the teacher's hands. And he asked the question, is it venomous? <laughs> <laughs> Wendell said, yes, it is. It is. It's a front fanged venomous snake. He froze. He, had, he actually froze and Wendell had to pry the snake off out of his fingers. But completely harmless. Mm. It's... Mm. Um, yeah, so you can. I wouldn't advocate people going out and handling snakes. If they don't know what they are. Or spiders. If you do spiders. not know what the spider is, do not pick it up and go. Oh, I just want to see how cool your legs are. I do feel yeah. on next week's episode, Sabrina's <laughs> going to put a huntsman in my hand and say, "Where do its legs come <laughs> from?" Frightened of this? Check out where the legs come from. Yeah, I've seen him with the frog, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> Hey, I'm getting better. Week by week, Johnny. Give me a couple of You got with the wrong person. <laughs> hey, Johnny had his car stolen once, but he'd been out mm. collecting species. Oh, no. Yeah. And mm. tell them what was in the back of your car, Johnny. I had a Jugite and a Monitor. <laughs> and, it had, and I had an Esky and it had a um, venomous, venomous snake. Wow. And, and I got on the radio uh, and it was – it had – Two tanks of juice in it. Had, it was set up to go. Yeah. Um, I got it back at eight o'clock that night, and then when I went into forensics to pick it up, uh, the, I said, "Can I pick up my car?" And he goes, "The forensic guy goes, yeah, it's just over there. We haven't gone anywhere near it." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that makes me feel like karma exists, right? Someone steals car and in the back, <laughs> yeah. Imagine the look. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's not it something a lot of people do have in the back of their vehicle, though. I'd first, have to say. first time I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lesson learned: don't steal yeah. Johnny's car. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, interesting story. I like mm. it. Do you, have you had any? Because um, you do a lot of night creeping, <laughs> of course. <it's, laughs> yeah, when you're sleeping, when Johnny's I'm a creeping, mm. he's a creeping. Um, what other things do you come across at night? I mean, like Probably. things that you just go. Holy mother of mercy, I never thought I'd see that. Yeah. Uh, there's With one school I've been working with for the last 12 years, this Margaret River Independent School, mm. when I first went down there, they wanted to know about the frogs, but I spotted these little chimneys and I didn't know what the chimneys were and I thought, oh, that could be this uh, burrowing crayfish, this ingower oh. that we have. Anyway, I've kind of put it out there. I, I, I told... Um, Depor at the time, and they sent down one of their experts, and they said, "No, it's not here." Anyway, um, we went on a series of night walks around this school, and the night walks took on an indigenous seasons, mm-hmm. and so this particular night was rainy. Uh, I walking when we did this walk in this rain. Um, looked down at this little bit of water body and there it was, this um, Ngawa in this, just this little puddle. Um, it was so exciting. Wow. And, yeah, but when you go out night walking, uh, interesting looking at the plants as well, botanising, nocturnal botanising. You mm. see a different, uh, plants take on a different kind of atmosphere. Uh, um, and just to see... Just to show people spotlighting spiders. Yeah. Just that 
diamond eyes come back at you. And just to get people to understand about eye shine, you can, it just tells you so much about uh, being able to sight creatures just by reflection of their eyes and what they mean and the colours. So what does it tell you how good their eyesight is, the things they can see, or what does it clue you uh, up on? It just, it just it gets people in the zone. Right. Mm. And that's the thing with habitat gardening. It's about getting in the zone of the animal. Um, so when you're out at night, you can, you can say, oh, you can be 10 metres away from a little spider, little, little spider, and at the start of the night walk, they don't understand what you're looking for. And then you show them about spotting that little spider 10 metres away. Mm. And then after a while, they can see what you can see. Yeah. And they get in the zone. Mm. And it's really nice because then all of a sudden they see this, the ground is alive and you've got to be careful where you're stepping. Yeah. And so night walks now are very limited numbers of people. And I don't tell where we're going to have them. Because if you tell people where we're gonna where they're yeah, gonna have them, they're just gonna all rock up, yeah. you know. And it's gonna go against the grain of what US wanted yeah. to do yeah, yeah. in the first place. So that's interesting because while you're teaching people, you still have to have this consideration of, um, you know, keeping the the quality of what these places are and not having them overrun. Yeah, is that something you think about a bit? Oh, um, yeah, it's at the forefront of my planning, and um, I'm pretty fortunate. My two boys. Um, know what I'm after, so you, I'm, you know, you're not out to do the Russell Coit and and, <laughs> and then plant plant little animals along the way. The my boys will, will walk out in front and they'll collect critters for me, yeah. and that means I can actually they'll come up and they'll come up with something, um, and I can talk to the people about it. That means I've got one person out going out and foraging. And coming back to me, and I can talk about it. Then I give it back to one of my boys. They go and return it, yeah. and they come back with another one. So the night walks really, for me, um, take on uh, another dimension because I can talk about the animals. It, trying to talk and actually forage at the same time is really hard work. Almost impossible, right? Yeah, definitely. But I think, I mean, you're doing that night walks in, in, in lovely areas, but gardeners can actually do that in their own garden. Oh, indeed. And I, and I, you know, I talk to people about that and I say to them, go out into your garden at night. Mm. Go out first with a head torch because it takes you a little while for your eyes to adjust to the dark. But you see an entirely different kingdom when you go out at night time. It's just... It's really, really exciting. And I think if more gardeners did it, they would be far less likely to use pesticides to kill insects because much of my calls are about how can I kill something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and so if you go at night time, you see that you don't have to kill stuff because there's something already munching the head off an aphid. Yeah. Mm. Um, and go into town. And, of course, all the little night critters that come out as well. Yeah. I've got micro bats that come out at night, bats in the, bats in the bell tower, um, and they knock off heaps of insects. Yeah, especially mosquitoes. Mm, they love yeah. mosquitoes. Yeah. So, you know, all those beneficial things that 
uh, just right there on your doorstep by understanding the biology, as I said before, and just mapping out what they need to survive, what food source, as I said, what where their breeding sites are, where their roosting sites are, what they need to eat. And I think something that you said previous is what 90% of birds have insect yeah. biomass in, in, their, their, in their gut. In their gut. Mm. So even if you're looking at honey eaters, um, you you still need to cater for the insect, attracting those insects in. And there's certain plants that I have on my list in temperate Western Australia, such as like the Darwinia citradora and the different um, woolly bushes, Adenanthus bushes. They um, they have a, they have the ability to actually attract the smaller, more timid honey-eater birds mm. instead of getting your, your red wattle birds and your rainbow lorikeets and even to you, you can even get the new holland honey-eaters that will set up a, a territory around a certain plant and not actually allow anything else in um, as soon as you get high nectar yielding kind of vegetation in you'll get these uh, set up of these territories by these aggressive birds so yeah there are some really nice timid little nectivores that are around that you can put certain plants in for that will attract them and provide food as well as shelter for them. Where do you start? If I want to do this at my place, Yeah, how okay. do I kick things off? Positioning your northerly aspect is always a good thing to start. It's basically the same formula as a vegetable garden. You want sunlight because if you don't have enough sunlight... Um, when you look at what uh, tadpoles eat, ad- tadpoles mainly eat algae, the algae that grows on the, on the surface of plants. So um, the male frogs won't actually go and breed in, the, in, in that water body if it doesn't have enough sunlight. So sunlight is always an important thing. The other thing is um, location according to your neighbours um, as well as yourself. Some people don't like to hear frog calls all night long. And so you just... Particularly the moaning frog, I'm told. The moaning moaning frog. frog, uh, And the motorbike frog. It, Yeah, it's horses for courses. Some people would rather listen to traffic than frogs, than nature. (laughs) That's so true, yeah. So, yeah, positioning is important. Um, And and making sure that your, your pond area has got a certain depth to area so minimum depth should be about 50 centimeters and in that pond area you need to in the bottom there you need to put some sand in there because the sand is where the bacteria survive and that's what the other thing that makes this whole planet work is the bacteria the microbes and those things when when a fish defecates the 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 waste is basically uh ammonia and that ammonia in the presence of, of beneficial bacteria, gets processed from nit- nit- ammonia through to nitrite and then uh, around to nitrate, and the plants take up the nitrate. So everything runs in a circle when you're dealing with a habitat garden. It's got to be an input, an input that's able to be processed. Um, plants are important for the habitat or the water body as well as the um, terrestrial part 
So the plants in the water body provide oxygen as well as structures for the different plant, different animals to perch on as well as metamorphosize, etc. Uh, and also the plants anchor the soil. Mm. So you've got uh, photosynthesis as well as uh, nutrient stripping um, properties of the plants. And then from there you go from uh, the wood, the the horizontal logs being able to, you know, dip into the area so those little critters can access the water. And then from there you're looking at you expanding it out so you've got your terrestrial plants, you've got your understory plants, you've got your architecture. Yep. So your architecture, as and now when you're looking at your plants, remember your flowering phenology. So you've got a map from January right through to December and really pick the times from January, uh, February, March and April, which is the most marginal times that you require flower, um, especially the purple, the yellow through to purple. So, you know, there's some homework to be done, but um, it is accessible. Mm. It is accessible. Flora base is a very good way. Yeah, flora base is excellent. Yeah. So... um, that's a, a West Australian based. Um, it's a database plant database, database yeah. yeah. But even if you don't, the, the, the big thing now, of course, is uh, in urban environments is loss of habitat due to uh, urban infill so that we stop the, the urban sprawl. So people that are on that perhaps can't have that, they haven't got the ground to be able to build a bog pond, you can still have water in the garden mm. and plants in the water and you can still do a garden with pots that have different things that flower at different times of the year and cluster plants together like you'd see in a, you know, out in the bush um, and remember the prickly plants. The prickly plants are actually really important. Uh, most plants you can grow in a pot. There's very yeah. few plants that you can't grow in a pot. So if you haven't got the space, just pot up, I say. Pot mm. on. Pot on. Yeah. And, you know, West Australian plants, that media of having better drainage just were the ones down in the temperate zone. Mm. It's pretty well documented. Kings Park has got some pretty good uh, rungs on the board with that regard. Mm. So it's, it's pretty much... Uh, all the information's out there for you. My Where I come from is from a scientific point of view, but also when you're looking at the home garden, you've got to look at both the aesthetic as well as the ecological values of mm. the plant. And, yeah, I think that's pretty much um, that's that's pretty much achievable. There's some really good nurseries in Perth. Mm. There's one particular nursery down in Oakford, Nancy, mm. and... I think because she's a production nursery as well mm. and she has uh, a good amount of herbertias and and um, plants that you wouldn't get anywhere else. But she's a seed collector and yeah. that's a whole different – people that are seed collectors, Jamie, <laughs> they are as far as I'm concerned. I feel like I'm in the matrix. My mind's just been blown, all these things before me. They are They are about as close as you get to a, a – a being that's beyond... That's next the, level. Next level. The seed collector. Seed collectors. Right. Because uh, 
that's where you get diversity. And then people don't even know what these plants are. So you get the seed collectors that go, that's rare. That would be very good to put there. I'm going to collect the seed. And then even though they're an absolute bastard to germinate, they keep persisting until they find out how to germinate that plant. Uh, and they may only have six seeds and then they only get two plants out of mm. six seeds. So you have yeah. to be passionate as a seed collector. There's a bit of love there. There's a lot of love in seed collectors. Yeah, oh, she does do a lot of stuff with cuttings as well. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And she's got magic hands, she I green reckon. fingers, that girl. Mm. Some people yeah. just have that magical touch. Yeah. Is that a thing? Really? Uh, no. No? There's okay. no scientific basis for that. No, but, you know, some people just, you look at them and you go, wow, like yeah. there's something in you that helps stuff yep. yeah. grow. Yeah, there's Kids, certain things. do you know what? Do you know what I've discovered over my many, many years is kids have that magic. Because I've worked with kids in all different areas and and I make kids grow stuff from seed because that's where the excitement is. When you've got adults that do stuff and kids that do stuff, the stuff that kids do, it grows. And I reckon it's because they... There's an energy that comes from children that adults seem to lose later on when their knees go in life. Um, there's something about kids that has a connection when they plant mm. anything, it bloody well grows. Yeah, okay. So mm. I reckon it's an energy thing. Mm. I'm hiring some kids, bringing them around my place <laughs> and going to grow some stuff. <laughs> Cost me less too. That's a win-win I, in my I book. do. I, I actually have had... Kids come in and do uh, students, high school students and primary school students come in and do planting days. And as long as you show them the fundamentals, yeah, they you do go back in quality control and a lot of it's yeah. pretty good. I reckon they just got the magic touch, those little kitty fingers. They're bloody good. So mm. start them young, boys and girls. Good advice. Yeah, like as a parent, you get your kids out. They would start to walk at about eight months. Soon as they're walking, out Ten with the shovel. Shovel, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Dig your little sod. And eat, eat some of the dirt as well. Oh, it's important to eat dirt. That's mm. the great thing about gardening. Uh, mud pies? Mud pies. You eat, you know, chicken poo, sheep poo, beetles, yeah. cockroaches. Roughage. They shove it all in the mouth, all goes in, build up their antibodies. Then they get to know that nature's not scary, it's actually edible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they'll never go hungry again. Ever, yeah. ever. <laughs> I like it. Um, and um, just I think Johnny should tell people. Um, that I'm going to see a concert goes, tonight. Oh, now Johnny's into music. Yeah, big yeah, music. Yeah, mm. he's, he's yeah. a big musicer. Who's on tonight? Client liaison. Good choice. I'm looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. Going to dress up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Johnny's here with his girlfriend, Rachel. They're rockers. They like to dance. <sighs> I'm liking your jacket already, though. You're going to mm. dress up from there. That is special. Oh, I'll send you a picture when I'm dressed up. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, you may be shocked. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> but, yeah, music is a, is a good thing in life, I think. It's a great thing in life. Yeah. Plants play music to themselves. What do you mean? Well, we did an experiment with um, tomatoes and playing plant, playing different music to tomatoes. All the same, all the same variety of tomatoes. Right. We played different music. This is at Hort College years and years ago. We had um, set up uh, little speakers 
near the tomatoes and played different sorts of music over a period of time and it would appear that tomatoes prefer classical music really we played we played punk we played rock we played classical we played um the seekers no one liked the i was seekers. gonna say i wouldn't want to eat that tomato no, no. no. no one ate that one <laughs> um <laughs> yeah there is there is some research that every every living being on the planet Mm. actually responds to an acoustic resonance. Yeah, yeah right. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Get some interesting tomatoes listening to client liaison, I reckon. They'd be up for a good time. <laughs> Put a bit Jeez. of spice in your sauce. Now, that's a compliment. Yeah, That'd I be tasty. So. Yeah. Yeah. Never thought about that. I'm going to think of tomatoes now. <laughs> tonight. I'm to up as a fruit bowl. We're a fruit bowl tonight. Yeah. And just see what happens. I'll see. I'd like to see yeah. it. I'll send you a picture. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, Johnny's got, you know, I reckon he'd be good with fruit bowl on his head. Yeah, I reckon he can pull off any look. Yeah. yeah. Carmen Miranda, look out. <laughs> okay, you're on. Hey, Johnny, enjoy <laughs> yeah. the gig. Good thanks. to see you. Thanks and, for uh, having Thanks for me. coming in. And rock on like a frog in a sock, Johnny. <laughs> we'll try. It's Sabrina Hahn, and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA, who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay, which is 100% West Australian-owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentonitewa.com.au. 